This morning, I want to, the next few Sundays, want to uh, focus uh, our, some of our messages on Sunday uh, around the incarnation, Christmas, is that we are in. It's always helpful to focus our thoughts and minds and to remind us uh, what is the reason <laughs> for the season, as the, as the cliche goes. But uh, we're going to uh, focus our minds around um, some different passages that may not be always the traditional passages that we look at uh, for Christmas. One of the things that uh, I'm sure you're aware of, and if you're not, it's always a wonderful, fruitful uh, study, is the study of Christ in the Old Testament. Uh, one of my favorite uh, courses in Bible college was a course on Christ in the Old Testament, taking from Genesis to Malachi and all those things that were signposted and pointed to the Messiah, Jesus. And uh, so this morning we're going to look at a passage in just a moment uh, that helps us and is one of those that is a reminder and especially the truth of the incarnation, the significance of the birth of Christ, the incarnation of Christ. So uh, we'll look at Deuteronomy 18 uh, in just a minute. One of the uh, truths that Scripture teaches concerning the fulfillment of Christ is there are three primary offices, if you would say it, not offices in the sense of, you know, a room and a desk, but, but roles that individuals had in the Old Testament as representatives for God. Primarily, there was the role of the prophet, there was the role of the priest, and later there was the role of the king. And God used these various offices, roles, people, to be his mouthpiece, to be his instrument, that God worked among Israel, the, the Jewish people, primarily his people, during that, during that setting. Uh, and this morning, one of the things that I want to highlight is the, one of the, the, the first of those roles or offices, and that has to do with the role of the prophet. Jesus Christ fulfilled all of those as prophet, priest, and king. He fulfilled as the greatest prophet, the greatest mouthpiece of God. He fulfilled the role as our mediator, our priest, our high priest, and ultimately he was the one that would be the that sit and would reign on the throne of David forever and ever, the king of kings and lord of lords. This morning I just want to take uh, we'll look at it in just a moment this aspect of Jesus and the incarnation and the fulfillment of this prophetic word as prophet, but remind you of a few things, so maybe a little more introduction than normal. But a prophet in the Old Testament was a mouthpiece or the mouthpiece of God. The, the prophet spoke literally the words of God. The prophet said, thus saith the Lord. He was speaking the words of God. Uh, he was the mouthpiece. Oftentimes prophets spoke words of indictment. Remember when we, on Wednesday, we studied Jeremiah, we've studied many of those aspects, but when you study the prophets, sometimes they're not the most encouraging things that some of those prophets have to say. I mean, sometimes, it, I know going through Jeremiah, you know, it was kind of depressing because, you know, it was just always negative indictments, you know, against the sins of God's people. So a prophet often, whether it was Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, 
uh, spoke words from God of judgment, of indictment, but also calling them to repentance. That, in an overly simplified way, was what a prophet primarily did. The Bible is clear that Jesus is a prophet, but he is God's final prophet. He is, there's no further mouthpieces of prophets coming after Jesus fulfilling that role. Jesus didn't just speak the word, but in John 1.1 it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word, speaking of Christ, was with God, and the word was God. John 1.1, that he was the word. Hebrews chapter 1 should be on the screen. Hebrews 1 uh, is an important verse, and it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But look at verse 2, but in these last days, and that's interesting, back in the first century when the writer of Hebrews wrote this, it was, he said it was the last days, and we've been saying it's the last days ever since. But it is the last days, but in these last days... Notice this, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Interesting that when you read Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 2, there's, there's a much more definitive way that that is spoken of uh, in, in the original language, that there is a finality, that he has spoken to us by his Son once and forever, once and for all, that he has spoken to us by his son. Notice again, verse 1, and many times and many ways God spoke through the prophets. But in these, in this last days, God has given his final word, his final uh, delivery, uh, and that is himself in Jesus Christ. Prophets, as I said, were, did not win a lot of popularity contests. Somebody wrote this uh, kind of humorous job description of a prophet and uh, again, this, this isn't in the Bible, but it, I think it describes the aspect of the prophet. And it was a help-wanted ad, and it reads this way. Spokesman needed for international firm. No experience necessary, no education required. Must be between 20 and 85 years old. Full or part-time. Exciting job with lots of travel. Travel must be willing to move often, sometimes in the middle of the night. Must be comfortable speaking to large crowds. Will meet often with the CEO who will instruct, who will instruct uh, and brief you on what to say to the public. Important that you be able to move in all circles of society, from the highest to the lowest. Good vocabulary, a must. Ability to speak in colorful images, a big plus. Job entails an unusual diet, including locusts and wild honey. Must look good in sackcloth and ashes. Unlimited opportunity for advancement. Low pay, but the benefits are out of this world. Must be willing to endure ridicule, persecution, slander, and occasional beatings. The job carries only one significant negative aspect. Make one mistake and you will be stoned to death. Any people want to sign up for that? Well, that kind of in a humorous way describes the role of a prophet. And one of the things with 
in Scripture that was, that was vital, that was important, was that the danger of false prophets, those who came masking themselves as prophets, imitating a true prophet. Uh, and the law was very clear that there was to be a severity of those who claimed to speak for God when in reality they were speaking for themselves. Uh, today, we have that today. I mean, people look to others, things like horoscopes and, and um, you know, uh, it's always interesting how these palm readers and these people that want to read the future, they always live in some little shack out by the airport. Do you ever wonder what that's about? Uh, but it was a risky way to make a living. Uh, you know, the people that are, you know, every once in a while, especially to, around the, uh, uh, a Christmas holiday or Easter, you'll see A&E do some special on Nostradamus. You know, the end of the year, they always kind of regurgitate that kind of stuff, you know, about people that are going to predict the future and all that type of thing. A true prophet called by God didn't just throw around and say, thus saith the Lord. There were severe consequences for claiming to speak for God and proving to be a phony and to be false. Some of these modern-day prophets are fortunate they didn't live during the days of the Old Testament. Instead of getting their picture on the cover of some Christian magazine, uh, they would have been stoned to death because of their presumption. But going back to Deuteronomy chapter 18... We come to Deuteronomy and remind you that the book of Deuteronomy, just a little context, is Moses' last words, his last sermon, if you will, to the Israelites that had been wandering in the desert for 40 years. Remember, Moses was forbidden by God uh, because he acted in anger when he struck the rock. Uh, for water, and God judged him and said that you will not enter into the promised land, so he would not go. But this generation that was birthed in the desert in these 40 years, uh, they would go. And so the book, book of Deuteronomy is really kind of uh, uh, Moses' last words, his last sermon of words of warning and encouragement that he would give to these that would enter into this land of promise that God promised Abraham and was warning them of what they should do. And uh, some have uh, laid out the book of Deuteronomy, and they have laid it out in such a way that it's very consistent with an exposition of the Ten Commandments in the way that uh, Moses structures the book of Deuteronomy. But when we come to chapter 18, we see that Moses gives a word of warning. And if you would look in your Bibles to verse 9 through 14, uh, it reads this way, when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, okay, when you come into the land, you shall not learn to follow the abominable, um, abominable, say that ten times, practice of those nations. There shall not be found among you, listen to this, anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. If you know about the pagan god Moloch, one of the ways that they pagans worshipped was to literally offer their baby into this hot, fiery furnace of this idol, and literally that child would be burned to death as some type of uh, sacrifice. And so that's forbidden. Do not offer your son or your daughter as an offering. Anyone 
who practices divination, trying to read into the future or to uh, spells and spiritism, or tells fortunes or interprets omens, or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer talking to the dead or one who inquires of the dead, whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. He's judging them before they enter into the land. But he says in verse 13, You shall be blameless before the Lord your God for these nations which you are about to dispossess. Listen to fortune tellers. They listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But notice this, But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. It's clear that if you are in the habit of checking your astrology every day, stop. And if you are obsessed with watching multiple programs about people that talk to the dead, stop. Again, that's clearly forbidden by God. And it's interesting that our culture, who does not have any room for God, loves to borrow and reach out into the supernatural and take into the supernatural without acknowledging uh, God and, uh, and so they're willing to talk to the dead. I even think this obsession with UFOs is part, again, you want to hear my theory again, I, do I worry about little green ETs, you know, on other planets or whatever? Well, uh, one, I don't know, and you don't either. But secondly, I think this obsession with, with these aliens is demonic. Because again, Satan doesn't care what path you take, because if he can get you obsessed into some type of uh, false supernatural, uh, he's willing you to take that road. So again, uh, people have, because we are cre- we're not created like dogs and cats, we are created with a, a, a soul that even though it is broken and marred because of sin, uh, yearns in some broken way, uh, and that's why Romans 1 could say that we are without excuse. Because we are, we are made in the image of God, but in our brokenness and our fallenness, we are, we are groping in the dark. We're blind men groping in the dark. And, and, and if we grab on a handle of something that seems like, ooh, that must be God, or, or somebody who can predict the future, or somebody that sees Jesus uh, on the side of a building, or in a tortilla, or somewhere, you know, it'll draw a great crowd. Have you heard about that, right? Heard about that crazy nonsense that goes on? The Word of God is clear. He warns them, don't do that. That's, that's not of God. Interesting, a prophet, as we look at verse 20 and 22 of Deuteronomy 18, a prophet, there were two, um, there were two ways to determine whether a prophet was sent by God. Deuteronomy 18, verse 20 through 22. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet, what does it say? Shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? Verse 22. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. 
Boy, I wish we applied that today to the nonsense that goes on. So there's a test of truth. Are they speaking the truth? Are what they're saying is the truth? And the second one is accuracy. Is what they say, does it come to pass? Real simple. And if it doesn't, you know that that person is not a prophet. Remember, a prophet literally means one who speaks on behalf of another. They are literally God's spokesperson. How was God to ensure that he, in this particular dispensation of time, in working with Israel, how was he going to guarantee and ensure that his words would be given uh, clearly without error? There was not the codified or canonized scripture at that point. The nation of Israel had the law, their constitution as a nation, but God was still working and using prophets to speak to his people. And so the primary function was that these prophets were to make sure that they were telling the truth to their generation. And when it came to predicting future events, that, that the fulfillment of those was accurate. Okay, that was the test. So remember, a prophet spoke, again, God's standard of righteousness. Most of the time when they spoke, it was to the unrighteousness that was going on the nation. They condemned injustice. They condemned oppression to the poor. They condemned extortion. I mean, they condemned greed and all those things. But the second thing is that prophets predicted things that would come to pass, either in the immediate future or in the future beyond their own generation. But going back to Deuteronomy 18, we see that as we kind of zero in on the connecting between the birth of Christ, we see that God was going to raise up a prophet like Moses. Look at Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. Remember the context, he's talking to them about true and false prophets. Verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. From among you, from your brothers, it is to him you shall listen. Verse 18, the Lord says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, like you Moses, from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Now there again, there's an immediate fulfillment, there were certainly prophets that fulfilled that role that came after Moses, right? Right? And then certainly there was the ultimate fulfillment. Moses was a prototype. And the ultimate fulfillment that there's universal agreement that the fulfillment, the the ultimate fulfillment was that that was fulfilled in Christ. Now Moses, you know, was a big deal. He's a big prophet, right? He was a key prophet. In fact, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 34, verse 10 and 12, listen to what it says and reminds you about Moses, that there has not arisen a prophet in, since in Israel like Moses. Is that on the screen, Deuteronomy 34? Maybe I didn't put it in there. Whom the Lord knew face to face. That's what it says about Moses. God knew Moses face to face. He's called a friend of God. In fact, you remember Fast forward in the New Testament, at the Mount of Transfiguration, when, when uh, Peter and John, and they went up and saw Jesus in his glory, remember on the mountain, 
where he was transfigured. They saw him in, in, in his divine glory, if you will. And you remember the two witnesses that were there with him? One was Elijah, and the second one was who? Moses. Kind of, again, capstone. Moses and Elijah representing the entirety of the Old Testament. You could say Moses as the prophet of the law, and uh, Elijah as the chief of the prophets, if you will, in the latter aspect of the Old Testament. So it's almost as though God was saying, here are the two representatives of the entire, what we call the Old Testament, verifying. And Peter said, hey, let's build, a, let's build little memorials to all three of them. And it's interesting, if you read that, God interrupts him mid-sentence before Peter gets in any more trouble with his suggestion. And the Lord says, this is my son, hear him. Reiterating that Jesus is the capstone of the messengers, of the prophets of the Old Testament. Now, what does this have to do with, with uh, Christmas? It has everything to do with Christmas. Because if Jesus is the, and the incarnation, that he is the fulfillment of this prophetic word, where did this, come, where did this get fulfillment? Where did this come to pass? And we see that in the incarnation in the life of Jesus. In Deuteronomy 18, remember there's four characteristics. These aren't on the screen. Just remember that this prophet, Deuteronomy 18, things that we read, it says uh, Moses said he'd be raised up by God. God says, I will, I will do this. I will raise him up from among you. Uh, he said he'll be like Moses. He'll have an intimate knowledge of God. Moses knew God face to face. But Jesus, as the prophet, uh, was God. Uh, he will be from among the people. The genealogies there in Luke and Matthew certainly testify that Jesus was born of the Jews, that Jesus was born of the tribe of, of Judah, that Jesus came unto his own. And the Bible says, and his own did not receive him, but he was, he was raised from among them. He was an Israelite. And Jesus, like Moses, but more so than Moses, Jesus spoke with divine authority. You know, when Jesus, or really in the, in the New Testament, the Jews had an expectation of this prophet that was to come. I think of in John 1, when they were quizzing John the Baptist, and remember John the Baptist was out and he was baptizing and some leaders uh, sent some folks out there to inquire what he was doing. John the Baptist, even though he's in the New Testament, he really is the last of what we would call Old Testament prophets, okay? He really is in the class of the Old Testament prophets. He was the last Old Testament prophet. A little confusing because he shows up in the Gospels. But you remember when they went out there in John 1, 19 through 21, it says, and this is the testimony of John that when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask you, who are you? <laughs> Who are you? What are you doing? Who are you? That John confessed and did not de deny, but he confessed, it says, he says, I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. There was, and if you kind of, there's all sorts of uh, historical anticipation in this period of time of anticipating the Messiah. And he says, I am not the Messiah, verse 21, and they asked him, well, then are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. 
Are you, notice it says, are you the prophet? You see, they understood God's word and they knew that there would be an expectation that God would send one like Moses. And they said, are you the prophet? And he answered them, no. Even Jesus, they quizzed Jesus about this, which shows that they had this understanding in Deuteronomy 18 of an anticipation of this, this prophetic fulfillment in Deuteronomy 18. You remember when Jesus, in John chapter 6, you remember when he fed the, fed the multitude, the 5,000? Remember that? And uh, they, he had this, that miracle of feeding the crowd. And in verse 14 of John 6, when the people saw the sign that he had done, this multiplication of the bread and the fish feeding and probably it was close to maybe 10,000 because in Jewish culture, they typically didn't always count women and children. So if you add women and children to that, it could have been as many as 10,000 people. And verse 14 of John 6 says that when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, what? This indeed is the, what? The prophet who has come into the world. They they, were, they knew that prophetic word. That was a big deal, that reference to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Jesus, when he was at the Feast of Tabernacles in John 7, 40, teaching, the Bible says that when they heard the words of Jesus, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. This is it. John 5, he was having this back and forth with some of the antagonists of the religious leaders. And at the end of the debate, he summarizes his position in this dialogue by appealing and referring them to Moses, who was revered, obviously, in Judaism. And they accused him, Jesus, of not believing Moses' words. And look what Jesus said in John 5, 46. For if you believed Moses, you would Believe me, for he did what? He wrote of me. Isn't that amazing? But where did Jesus or where did Moses write about Christ? I love this story, and I know I use it all the time, but it's just so important, and I'm not going to have you read it. But it's that Luke 24, Jesus on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection, and he walks along and comes up along these two disciples we don't you know their names are given so remember there's the disciples of the 12 and then there's others that are referred to as disciples in kind of a more general way disciple just means follower there was the 12 and they had a significant role but then there was just multiple disciples that were multiple followers but they didn't necessarily operate like the 12 did but they were followers and so Jesus came up alongside of them and he heard them talking, and they were discussing about all the things that had gone on. And in Luke 24, 19, of course, they did not recognize him. In Luke 24, 19, Jesus said to them, when they were talking, he said, what things? I mean, like, what are you guys talking about? And they said to him, look at this, concerning, like, they want to say, like, where have you been? This is the biggest thing going on. And then he said, what things are you talking about? And they said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a what? Prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. I find it interesting 
that of all the things they could have said about Christ, the Messiah, Savior, Lord, Redeemer, all those things being true, it is interesting that they chose to use this reference in saying a, who was a prophet. Now again, don't misunderstand. Jesus is more than just a prophet. That's why I start out by talking about that fulfillment as the final prophet, the mouthpiece that was fulfilled at the incarnation. When Jesus revealed his true identity, it says in Luke 24, 27, notice what it says, he gave him a, a wonderful Sunday morning. This is Sunday morning of Easter. He gave him a great Sunday school. This is where Sunday school began, in case you didn't know. No, I just made that up. Sounded good, didn't it? Verse 27, Luke 24, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. All the things concerning himself. And I don't think it would be too presumptuous to believe that Deuteronomy 18 was certainly not included. One more thing before we start circling the runway and land the plane here in a minute, was how the apostles understood this. In Acts chapter 3, the passage in Acts chapter 3, Peter uh, healed a crippled beggar in the temple courtyards, a dramatic miracle, drew a lot of crowds, as you can imagine, drew a lot of people. And as Peter preached a message and shared the word of God, he tells them that this miracle that took place was done in the power of Jesus, the same Jesus that they crucified a few weeks before. And let's pick it up in verse 17. And notice how Peter uses Deuteronomy 18 to build his case. He's talking to Jews. Let's pick it up in verse 17, Acts 3. Peter says, And now, brothers... I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that this Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive... Until the time. Now this is a freebie, but don't miss that. That tells me that's a, that's a time issue there. That means the events of Jesus ascending are for a time. And there will be a time in which the restoration of all things takes place. That speaks ultimately to our understanding of the second coming of Christ. That's a time factor there. He, he, uh, verse 21, he'll be received until the time for restoring He's only going to be ascended until that time, and then he'll return. I'm, I'm not trying to add scripture there, but we have a, a more understanding there of what's going on. Of all the things about which God spoke by the prophet, by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Now look at verse 22. He makes a direct quotation of Deuteronomy 18.15. Moses said, as if Peter is like putting the cherry on the cake, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me, quoting Moses' words, from your brothers, you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. Do you see what Peter says? This is that one. 
And what does that have to do with Christmas? Everything. Don't get sentimental about the baby in the manger. Get excited about the prophet that was fulfilled, that has finally come and spoken to us clearly, unambiguously, truth as the only voice of God that we can trust and rely upon Him. Let me suggest to you three very quick things this morning of why it should matter that Jesus is the great prophet sent by God. The birth of Christ, fulfillment of this Old Testament prophecy. Listen, number one, this prophet declares the true word of God. Jesus declared the true word of God. Remember in Matthew 7, 29 is the reference. It says, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. They were amazed at his teaching. I mean, when I preach, I give quotes and footnotes and say, you know, this and, and refer to this and refer to this commentary or whatever. You know why? Because my ultimate authority is the Word of God. I am not an authority in and of myself. The Jews, the rabbis, if you know about Jewish teaching, that uh, it wasn't that when they stood in the synagogues, they, had, they necessarily opened the Old Testament. But you remember Jesus talked about you love your traditions more than you love God's Word? And uh, in, in in even today, in Judaism, you have what is referred to as the, um, the Talmud. And in the Talmud, you have two aspects. And it looks very similar. Some of you have study Bibles. And it looks very similar to a study Bible. In the, mi- in the middle, um, and I might get these backwards, so don't stone me. No pun intended. Uh, in the middle of the page... Uh, it's, I believe it's called the Mishnah. And that is the teaching of the rabbis about, let's say, the Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath holy, right? Well, through the traditions of the rabbis, they would give you 20 volumes of, how, of books of how to do that, right? And even from making sure you don't touch and divide up your seeds, because that would be working. I mean, you understand what I'm saying. I mean, they, they wanted to elaborate on the law because the Pharisees, the, the lawyers, the, the scribes, they were the protectors and guardians of the law. And so that middle part on that page, um, the Mishnah, or the other is the Gemara, and I might have those backwards, is you'd have the traditional teaching, but around it, almost like a study Bible, you would have various commentaries and notes of what other rabbis said throughout the centuries about that teaching. So here Jesus stands up, unlike the typical rabbi that says, the word of the Lord, keep the Sabbath holy. Now you know Rabbi Glickman, he says this. And Rabbi Jeremiah, you know, and he quotes... Jesus says, I say unto you. Jesus says, truly, truly. You know what, in the Greek, that's amen, amen. We put amen at the end of our words. Jesus caps it at the beginning. Because his words are truth. As a prophet of God, he declares the true word of God. He claimed divine authority for his words. He said his words would bring eternal life. He declared that his words would not pass away. He ordered in Matthew 28 that his words would be carried around the world. He said that the ultimate destiny of men and women depended on their response to his words. Believe the words that I say unto you because he was the 
prophet fulfilled by God that declares the true word of God. But secondly, he's the true prophet because he diagnoses the true human condition. I'm thinking of Mark chapter 7. And there was this scuffle about the disciples not washing their hands. Now, it doesn't mean they were like eight-year-olds who didn't want to wash their hands. I'm talking about a ceremonial cleansing that somehow evolved in Jewish culture and teaching of a ritual before they ate. And Jesus, picking up in Mark 7, you can read more, but it's in Mark 7. I think I have verse 20, 23, maybe not. And he said to them, because they were making this big deal that, about being unclean, but Jesus says what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For from within, look at this, out of the heart of man. That's, that's our nature, our heart. For out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. You see, Jesus understood man's true condition. And if he was going to be a true spokesman for God... He wasn't here to just put a shellac on man's religiosity and make man and humankind feel good about themselves and to always leave his meetings knowing that every day can be a Friday. Your best days are ahead. No, he would say your worst days are ahead. Because in John 3.20... For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest their works should be exposed. That's why some people have a hard time coming to church. Because if you come to church where the truth of God's word exposes our hearts, people think, oh, that, that church, they're too harsh. Well, in some cases, I'm sure that is. But I'm convinced through almost 40 years of pastoring, a lot of it, what they're reacting to is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because in our nature, we hate the light. We hate exposure. Jesus did not come to just give people a pep talk and a nice motivational speech. He used words, again, this is what a, remember, this is, don't miss this, this is what a prophet would do. He used terms like calling them hypocrites, blind guides, fools, Matthew 23, whitewashed tombs. Remember it would be to a Jew forbidden to be near or walk near a dead body. So Jesus says, you're like unidentified tombs that people walk by and are defiled just by being around you and they don't even know it. Pretty harsh indictment. He called them snakes, brood of vipers. He wasn't getting invited to the Kiwanis Club of Jerusalem. But because he was a true prophet of God, he spoke the truth. And he spoke the truth about our true condition of what we needed. We needed a Savior. And thirdly, 
Jesus fulfills the truth as a prophet of God like the prototypes in that he predicts the true course of future events. Now, a lot of words of Jesus have to do with end times prophecy, and we're going to, you know, dabble a little bit in that, and uh, not dabble, we'll, <laughs> we'll look at the word of the Lord into that, we're not going to dabble, so we'll try not to do, um, but we'll get into that, uh, some of that, and we'll look at some things that Jesus taught, spend some time there, because it's a, it's a worthwhile teaching of God's word, but so there are aspects of future predictions that have yet to be fulfilled. So how do we know if he can be trusted with these predictions? Well, I suggest that we look at his track record of his past predictions and determine whether he had the accuracy required of a true prophet Jesus predicted that one of his inner circle would betray, betray him. And that was fulfilled by Judas. He predicted his crucifixion. And that was fulfilled on Good Friday in Jerusalem. He predicted his resurrection. He told the, those religious leaders, and they didn't understand him, you destroy this temple, and in three days, he said, I will raise it. And that was fulfilled on Resurrection Sunday in Jerusalem. He predicted the coming of the Holy Spirit, and that was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. He predicted the fall of Jerusalem, and history tells us that that was fulfilled in the year 70 when the Roman army came in and destroyed Jerusalem. You see, we see accuracy with Jesus as prophet. He predicts the true course of future events. Now, going back to Deuteronomy just for a moment, one of the things that Moses says in verse 19, was something about what is required of these mouthpieces of God. And if it's true of the human prophet, I mean the, the, the earthly prophets, it would certainly be even more true of the final prophet, Jesus. He says in verse 19, and the NIV reads, I myself, the Lord says, will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words, that the prophet speaks in my name. Two choices, then and now. Listen to the words of God's prophet Christ, do what he says, or ignore it and disregard what he says. But all of us will be held accountable to that choice. We either follow Christ or we don't. There's no neutrality with Jesus. You remember Jesus or uh, C.S. Lewis's famous statement in Mere Christianity? To paraphrase Jesus, to make a decision, he's either a, a lunatic, a liar, or he's Lord. Which one is he to you? Is he a liar? Well, don't believe him. Is he a lunatic, just out of his mind, like? The David Koresh's and the Jim Jones and all the crazy nuts that have come through history, they had their false prophets back in those days. Maybe more so. And they didn't even have the internet. You know, you get an internet and a website connection, all of a sudden you're an expert about everything. Or is he truly who he claimed to be? And do the facts support 
what he says? Do the facts support what he says? Is Jesus really the Son of God? As we get ready to close, let me read to you something that I'm sure you're familiar with, but I thought of it and thought of it to read. And it's something written almost a hundred years ago. And some of you are familiar with the words of an essay taken from James Allen Francis called One Solitary Life. Listen to these words. Here is a man who was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30, and then for three years he was an itinerant preacher. He never owned a home. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never went to college. He never put his foot inside a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place he was born. He never did one of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. While still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed upon a cross between two thieves. And while he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth, his coat. When he was dead, he was taken down and laid in a borrowed tomb through the pity of a friend. Twenty-one long centuries have come and gone, and today he is the centerpiece still of the human race. I am far, the writer says, within the mark when I say that all the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever were built and sailed, all the parliaments and governments that ever sat, and all the kings that ever reigned, put together have not affected the life of a man upon this earth as powerfully as has that one solitary life. What do you think about Jesus? What do you think about Jesus? Jesus asked even his followers that question when he said, Who do men say that I am? He says, hey, you know, what's the word on the street? But then he says something. He still says to every one of us here, who do you say that I am? So as we focus our hearts and minds from the calendar on the incarnation, see that Jesus, in perhaps an obscure Old Testament passage, that when you look at the manger, when you look at the events, one of the scriptures that points to this Messiah is these words, ancient but spoken by the prophet Moses, that the one, that the one that was promised to come, this is he. This is he. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you, God, for loving us. Lord, to send the clarity, not just of your words, but to send the very word itself. Jesus' words being the way, the truth, and the life. 
not a way, not just a truth, not my truth, but the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you for the Messiah. I pray that everyone here today, whether they've been a Christian for years, they've been Christian for months, weeks, days, and maybe those even are still evaluating, checking things out. Lord, that they would be reminded. Lord, this is not just the sentimental symbol that we often attach to our culture this year. Sometimes going out of our way to point in every direction except to Bethlehem. And while there's the glorious truth of that first Christmas morning, Lord, there's also such profound truth in what was fulfilled in that child and what is, was fulfilled and what is still being fulfilled. That without the incarnation, without the birth of Christ, Lord, all of us here, would be without hope.